Okay, so we're continuing our talk through ethics and ecclesia. These are just mm-hmm. values that we have in the house church world. Um, mm-hmm. Not really house church world, really just the church. This is, these are value systems that should be just in church. And so we talked about equality last time. Yeah. Today we really want to talk about unity. Yeah. Unity is a very central theme mm-hmm. um, to Jesus' heart. Mm-hmm. Like we even said in the Jesus mission for a long time, like our our like motto, you know, was like yeah. to equip the found, find the lost. And then eventually we even added in. Unite wait, the mission. And to unite the mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like when you think about it, there's a lot of things that churches stand on. Yeah. A lot of nonsense, honestly. Like, but yeah. then they won't value unity. Mm-hmm. You know, they might stand on like, this is why we don't mm-hmm. play reckless love from on worship, you know, or this yeah. is why we have like, whatever it is, you know, we make someone go to college before they can like come be a pastor. We have all these things that are truly deep values, like of the church. They're yeah. leading compasses of yeah. the institutional church mm-hmm. or even in a house church setting. But at the end of the day, if you don't have unity, you're missing something that is extremely central to God's heart. And that's why it's a key ethic for us as we help lead house churches and we encourage others to plant churches. Because if you don't have unity, you're just really not operating in the same framework. Like John 17, even I think of Jesus coming and he's praying for unity. It's one of the last things he prays for is just unity, that they would be one and I would Mm -hmm. be one in -hmm. them. They would be one with me and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. It's a huge, huge theme. So what thoughts you got? Okay, I kind of immediately have two like veins of thought three actually so yeah. the one of them is really brief just I like a quick commentary that um this is not the time to get into division like I think it, it'll be really good to focus on unity and God's heart on unity but not the time to get into division so there's a difference between disunity and division mm. um and God has really strong feelings or attached to that language word of division. So we'll just address that at a different time because there are times to divide and times where like, it's really, really not okay to divide. So I think talking about unity, um, will be great. So my, that is like an aside, uh, the two sort of main thoughts I have to travel down, I think are, um, taking a look at, um, you know, like you said, I, here's here's the problem, I think. There's a little bit of like deconstructing of our ideas of unity that we have to do initially because many churches would say that they still have unity. Even across denominations, yeah. we see, and, and we've been to different areas where there's a great effort toward unity. And so I think we need to look at like unity as oneness and um maybe even talk a little bit about like the bible gives us a lot of one another kind of commands and exhortations right like actually how we should understand unity is found in those how we're meant to treat one another Mm. um and if you apply that then to like different churches or across churches that's really where you start to see disunity yeah because that's kind of the point I think that we're getting at is sort of um, it's you, you can't say, well, because I tolerate that you exist in this other church or like I speak supportively of you in this other church. That's not the same as actual unity. No. Not and at all. So maybe like 
We'll, we'll just spend a few minutes on there. Yeah, you have to deconstruct some things. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, denominational structures are largely disunifying structures. Mm-hmm. There's no way to get around that. Mm-mm. Now, if you're a denominational structure that values, one of your value systems is crossing denominational lines and interacting with your brothers, sisters, and other denominations, then that would be a good example of unity and what we're talking about in this episode. But if you're a denominational structure where you set up like your barriers for entry and why you're better than your competitor in the, you know, if your goal is to gain more people to say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, but you know, you put your church is one of those names that you want. Um, that's the, like God has words for that. Um, and that's not, unity it's not you're not building up one another you're not exhorting one another you're not edifying one another you're not all you know so many of these one another things you're not doing that um in that context yeah absolutely when we help you know get a jesus mission going and we first started sending missionaries over the world for those of you that don't know we have 120 missionaries as of the time of this recording across 18 different countries and they come from every denomination under the sun. Yeah. There's probably 15 to 20 denominations represented yeah. in AGM. And it's interesting because I think a lot of missions organizations are like that if it's not formed out of a denomination. It's kind of right. like, hey, just, let's just get behind the mission of Jesus and go. you know. But then when it comes yeah. to the church, it's like we put more guardrails up. And yeah. um, the thing is, when we started to figure out how are we going to like develop some sort of statement of faith for a Jesus mission, we had constructed in a jam the leadership had constructed a spreadsheet basically with um a few of the mainline denominations you know took the assemblies mm-hmm. of god statement of faith the southern baptist mm-hmm. calvary chapel you know whatever you know eight or nine of them put them all on a spreadsheet and if there's something everybody agreed on we highlighted it green if most of the people agreed on it but just one or two disagreed we highlighted it yellow and if there were only one or two people making a statement on it then we highlighted it red we immediately deleted all the red and the yellow and you were left with a bunch of statements about Jesus. It was the crucifixion of Jesus. It was the sinless life. It was the virgin birth. It was the resurrection. It was uh, the spirit of God. It was, you know, the Trinity, you know, and, and that was how we ultimately came from like, hey, we literally all agree. Let's send people that do this. I think of even Paul saying like, I decided to preach Christ and him crucified. Mm-hmm. Or I think of him saying elsewhere that like, uh, what's he say? He says, Praise God, Christ is preached. Mm-hmm. You know, like most of us in different uh, denominational structures, I don't think would honestly say, Praise God, Christ is preached. They would probably first degrade and belittle their brother or sister. And they then, would flaunt their superiority. Yeah. And then they would go, Yeah, but I, I guess, whatever, at least they're preaching the gospel. It's like, Whoa, 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 whoa. No, that's not what Paul did. He didn't say, Praise God, is Christ is preached, af- or Praise God, Christ is preached after gossiping and slandering, you know, his brother or sister. He just, he truly meant it. And I think that's our heart and unity. That's something we've developed uh, through a Jesus mission, through sending missionaries. Not while. So sorry, if I can just like clarify that for a second, like that's our heart and unity. I think that's God's heart and unity is not to just say something, but really like that whole James talks about, you know, faith without works is dead. Like you need that action to follow it up. We actively come alongside and propel forward people in their relationship with God in their ministries so that they can like 
do greater yeah, amounts of kingdom a, work a good right more faithful kingdom we're not work. putting up with people so like sure i guess we'll send you to go be a missionary overseas like no we're actively coming alongside and wanting to push people forward with everything we can to see them effective we take on these one another exhortations and we say awesome welcome to the family let's do this together yeah very different than you go that's a little weird. You go do that over there. Yeah, totally. And that's super cool. Like, we hope it goes well. Like, I mean, there are, obviously we don't take everybody in, but that's because we're small and we can't care for everybody well. Yeah. But like the, there's, we see, I think in our church structures, a lot of that mindset of there's a lot of outright talking down and like you literally, I don't know, we're not fooling so anybody, right? We know that that's no, not real no. unity. Um, I think there's a lot of, in helping to understand unity, like the previous episode, we talked about the sin of favoritism right. and how like there can be no equality when the sin of favoritism mm. or partiality is present. Yeah, we do totally. that a lot in, in our churches. We kind of, we talked about that a little bit. That's a minor roadblock to unity. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it like it, it really is. And so I just want to read a little bit here. Um, so Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. Mm. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, I think that's really good context for we have this facade of unity where like, okay, I will love and embrace. It's just, it's just a form of favoritism and partiality though like my brothers and sisters that like i kind of enjoy i'll work to love and embrace them um but everyone else i'll just like let stay at a distance or go do their thing elsewhere and i think we have so we just have like just these massive banners of this is my brand of favoritism uh, at one church, this is my brand of favoritism at another church. And since, you know, if, if we're not going to like outright undermine each other, we can call this global unity, right? Like this broader picture of unity across yeah, the global totally. body, but it's not, that's not real. And, and truthfully, like we're not fooling anyone because that's, there's nothing out of the ordinary in that. No. That's so of the world. I hate to give local examples, but I have to do oh. it because I, I think uh -oh. the reality okay. is like, you know, there's a church in town called one church. Yeah. And like... I've never been, but yeah. It's a bunch of AG churches mm -hmm. that rebranded all their names to one church. Mm -hmm. And there's like a dozen of them or something in the area. And they just wanted to like be an example of like unity. Three. But you're just an example of unity for the assemblies of God. Yeah. You're, that's yeah. not... You're not one church. Yeah. You're, it, didn't, it didn't change. You just finally like unified your denomination like, mm -hmm. so now we can call chocolate, chocolate. We got rid of dark chocolate. We got rid of German chocolate. We got rid of milk chocolate. We just decided we branded it chocolate. 
that's great, but you're not the ice cream you were intended to be. You're still like, you're, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's a stupid example, but like, really, I think, I think it's like, we're supposed to be a unified church, body of believers. This is why earlier in one of the earlier episodes, we talked about how in Acts, they literally st- started calling them Christians. Yeah. We were just followers of the way. That's it. Yeah. There was no branding involved. Yeah. And, and so when you start to identify yourself with a church body, uh, this is a personal conviction. I'm not putting this on anybody else, but I am deeply convicted that like I cannot be a part of a church body that's not truly unified with the larger expression of the body of Christ. Mm. Like if, if, because I'm either a proponent of disunity or I'm a proponent of unity. Mm. And if a church structure has set up its stuff in such a way that it will be disunified with the others in their own city in which they're trying to reach people, why would I push that forward? Because the world looks at that and sees it as BS, for lack of a better phrase. So why, why would I step foot and, and push that forward in any capacity? This is one of the reasons I've you know, struggled in getting into a church locally that I yeah. really like, feel like gets it. Mm-hmm. Because we do these... <laughs> we do this stupid thing. You got some feelings. You yes, got some feelings. We do these stupid yeah, yeah. things. And we say, like, we're going to have a corporate worship night. And so a Nazarene church or a covenant church or, you know, Calvary Chapel, someone says, yes, corporate worship night. And then all of a sudden, like, everybody comes and it's just people from their church. And now we can feel good that, like, oh, look at us all here and we're corporately worshiping. And it's not corporate worship. Like, it really is just like if the Nazarenes are the arm in the body of Christ, it's a bunch of arms coming to worship with a bunch of arms. And if the Covenant Church is a bunch of kneecaps, well, they have their corporate kneecap worship night. Mm-hmm. It's not like a real expression of the body of Christ and the fullness that it's intended to be. Sure, there's a little local diversity, but the diversity of the global church, of a truly unified church, even just in a local city, mm-hmm. like, it's so much more. Yeah, because I, I like here's the thing. So, you know, I think it's important to kind of really talk about what like that facade of unity. We really got to point out like what what that is, clarify like, hey, that is not actually hitting the mark because God desires for us to be unified with each other um, in the way that he desires us to be unified with him, like as as one. That's like a pretty intense picture. I honestly don't have a whole lot of understanding for what that really means and looks like. Um, but I've tasted and I've seen mm-hmm. just a little bit. Right. And so, you know, we've, we've been building, I think a lot of these concepts, these ethical concepts up for like, okay, first we start with like believers are meant to gather together. It's, it's believers gathering together to build up, of the body, like were spiritual stones coming together, building up the spiritual house, part, all parts of the Royal priesthood. We're all equal parts of the Royal priesthood. No one stone is any greater than another. Um, just Christ who's the cornerstone. (laughs) Really? That's it. Um, and, um, everyone has like the spirit has given a diverse range of gifts. Um, and every single person is meant to be indispensable. And, you know, so we've talked about um, a few of these things and how we're not meant to have favoritism or partiality um, because we're undermining 
God's efforts uh, throughout his body and in, in the building up of his body when we have those things. And now we get to this um, idea of unity. And um, here's the, the thing. I think we have pretty close to a sort of global expression in our local context most of the time because each person is so divert each person is so unique Mm -hmm. and if we get rid of our favoritism or our partiality and we are willing to embrace because simply because god has loved and embraced this person if we are willing to love and embrace like all other believers, we're going to have this incredibly diverse expression. We're going to be like challenged as, as heck, yeah. you know, to be like, well, that's really weird. Makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I never, what, you know, <laughs> or, yeah, totally. or we're going to be like, oh, that's not the most beautiful sounding voice. What can I, can I still work? You know, it's many things like that. Like we'll be challenged as heck, but Um, I think even in our smaller context, we have, there's such an immense diversity of life that reflects Mm. the diversity of God. And we are called to have unity in the midst of that, not through lip service. Like I know that that diversity exists over between like these seven churches in town and I go to this one and all together, don't we make this really cool diverse picture? No, we're meant to be challenged to understand the heart and the mind and the love of God in our real day-to-day life, interacting in that diversity. Um, I want to read a couple things where I think this is sort of the, when we have this value ethic of unity, we have, we're operating from this understanding that God thinks all his children are extremely gifted He is convinced he did an amazing job in creating each of them and supernaturally empowering them. His desire is to see all his kids serve to their full potential. Um, That was from Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. Um, Yes. Yes. Resounding yes. Yes, right? And then um, there's also, I'm going to read just a tiny thing out of uh, Reimagining Church. Can we pause on that though? Oh, absolutely. blasting through that and i think that that is like beautiful amazing beautiful and this is the thing like so if you're a church that let's just say values disunity by your action regardless of what you say then you don't desire to see god's beautiful children meet their potential believing that like like he's convinced he did an excellent job with every single one of us that means the one that I don't click with their personality as well. Or the one who um, misses the notes on the guitar or singing or the one who just talks for like a really long time and isn't straight to the point enough when they're talking about what God did in their week or like literally whatever. God is convinced he did an excellent job with them yeah, and that his spirit has empowered them. Or I think of a a podcast I listened to from Chan a long time ago where he said he was at someone's house and there was a sister with a, an older brother, I think. I could be wrong on the details, but I know the older brother or the, the brother sibling, had a, yeah. autism and he was like hitting the girl and like screaming, you know, all over the place. And she was just like super calm and chance that he was thinking of like, oh gosh, like this is, it was like frustrating to him, you know, just like the situation. 
Did but you like, write about that in Until Unity? I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe, but okay. I heard it on a podcast. And, cool. and he said, like, at the end of that, like, he went home and he was, like, convicted that basically, wow, but look at her patience and, like, her love the sister had for the brother. And, and she had a surplus for his need. Absolutely. Just by, sorry, not just the sister for the brother, but I mean, Fran, like Chan goes in there and he recognizes out of her abundance, my lack is being exposed and God is teaching me and increasing from yeah. my lack. Yeah. He was using that. And it's just like, yeah, we sit in a house church and if a kid makes a noise, like people can get antsy and not be able to just like, oh, it's frustrating. Kid made a noise. And it's just like, it's just that example of, you know, like beginning to look at people the way Jesus does and go like, we don't look at this kid because he has autism. Mm -hmm. We look at him and go, but what is his potential? Mm -hmm. What does God mm -hmm. see when he sees this brother? You know, and I don't know, it's, it is, it's a little bit of a sidebar, but it's just to point out like how we look at people and wh where we make distinctions and whatnot. Yep. Like it really does matter. And if you're ever going to be unified, you have to stop making distinctions. You have to humble yourself. Yes. And so this is, I, there's a lot of overlap between what we're talking about here and this whole idea of equality, but I think that's because they're so closely intertwined, right? Yeah. We, it, I think once we start to have that um, equality value ethic, we should be drawn into a unity value ethic. Um, that's when like we can start to have that as a practice. Um, so... In Reimagining Church, there's this uh, chapter on reimagining church unity, and it's really great um, and super challenging because so he brings up how in Romans 15, 7, you know, we're told to accept one another just as Christ has accepted us. So according to Paul, according to God, the church is made up of all whom God has accepted and whomever accepts God or and whomever God accepts, we cannot refuse mm. our acceptance of others doesn't make them members of the church we accept them because they are already members mm. therefore if god has accepted you then you belong to the church and i must accept you that's like a really good i think don't even get me started so but but, <laughs> but so it's it's you know beautifully said yes um it's so good it's so great and that's that whole like that's our foundation of unity in in i should say um practice in how the house churches that we've been in that's kind of my like ethic that i've gone to so i'll use um i'll make it quick a quick example of like we have at times we've had people who are just sort of strong or kind of hard personalities, you know, yeah. um, which I don't have a problem with one, because I think my natural bent is I just, I love diversity because I love to learn and I see mm -hmm. diversity as an opportunity for me to learn. Yeah. Um, two, I am a really hard personality for a lot of people. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get it. She's an eight. <laughs> and if you're familiar with the Enneagram, um, so anyways, we, there, we, there was someone who was part of a house church and, um, they were a hard personality and quite a few people would come to me and just kind of be like, how did you feel when they said this thing to you? And I'm like, oh, I thought it was great. Like clearly like their heart was pure and trying to edify me. And they're like, what? 
like like mm-hmm. surprised that I'm not offended because they just don't like the way that it was said or they don't like maybe the way that this person would try to make a point during house church and all of it came down to these preferences and so my my way of like my thing to go back to was like God is incredibly diverse and I think yeah. it's amazing that he meets that person's mind where they're at and that he's empowering them in a way that I would never like I don't have the framework to think that way but now I get to think that way yeah. now I get to grow that way and here's the thing like this is if ever I have a temptation toward offense God reminds me that he has accepted that person and he loves them mm-hmm. And I am meant to be one with them in love the way that he yeah. loves them. So what? So what's my hangup? Because it's just my hangup. Like God is all there for that person. And that is so hard for us to do. Our default, because we have so many options, is just to push people somewhere else where other, you well, know, we want the easier. That it's okay. Absolutely. By the structures that be. Oh, Absolutely. That's like we've of, created a system where this is, this gets to be our default mm-hmm. and we don't even question it, which is, is why we're talking about it now yeah. here. Right. Um, the only other thing I wanted to read was here's what happens when we embrace unity through the diversity that mm. is in the life around us. Right. Like not just maybe who we would like, but literally just the believers who are, in our local context, when we embrace unity, um, the church is functioning according to its nature in a lot of these ways that we've already covered through all these different ethic points. And then it offers interdependence instead of independence. It offers wholeness instead of fragmentation. Hmm. We see a much fuller picture of Christ himself. It offers participation instead of spectatorship. It offers connectedness instead of isolation, assuming that we want to belong in the right ways. Yeah. It offers solidarity instead of individualism, mm. spontaneity instead of institutionalization, relationship instead of programs, mm. servitude instead of dominance, enrichment instead of insecurity, freedom instead of bondage, community instead of corporation, and bonding instead of detachment. Yeah. That was also from Reimagining Church. No. Um, just, really good. it was just a really great, uh, list and picture of, um, literally embracing mm. unity also under the framework of equality and yeah, every member functioning gives us those things. Yeah. I think that's really good. The, this isn't going, none of these ethics are going to be exhaustive. We're just highlighting. We're just cracking the door. And we encourage you guys to go dig deeper because if you dig into unity throughout all the New Testament, it is everywhere. You're going to see a lot more on unity than you're going to see about speaking in tongues. You're going to see a lot more on unity than you're going to see about free will. You know what I mean? Or election. Like it's There's so much emphasis on just being a united church. Even just think of the concept, the fact that these are letters written to different churches that basically we would now say are denominations. Because the Church of Corinth looked different than the Church of Ephesus, which looked different than the Church of Philippi. But they didn't purposefully divide. No, they didn't. But over time, certain value systems had arisen, which Paul was calling out, Mm -hmm. whether it was like Gnosticism or whatever, you know, he was was cautioning them, you know, away from these things that would cause disunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, bringing them back to the foot of the cross. But Jesus, 
mm-hmm. you know, but Christ crucified, mm-hmm. even in Corinth, you know, in first Corinthians, he talks about in first Corinthians one and two, he says, but I, I decided to know nothing among you, mm-hmm. but Christ and him crucified. Like the person of Christ. Yeah. It's we are all meant to grow into maturity, which looks like the fullness of Christ you better together. better believe Paul had a theology. Yeah. Like, I don't know what his theology was. was Probably many theologies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he was a Calvinist or an Arminian. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't know what he, like, really stood on and what really, like, I don't know, got him going. But mm-hmm. but I believe he had, like, a theology that was clear um, to him, probably mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. But even when he approaches, you know, Corinth in that letter, he says, I decided to know nothing. Mm-hmm. He sets it aside. Why? For the purpose of unity. And then right after that, we all know the, the verse that comes after that where it says, well, I didn't come to you um, in eloquence of speech or in words of wisdom, but I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Mm-hmm. And I think that is severely lacking in our cultural context of the church. I'm sorry. I don't see very many churches set up in America where there's truly a demonstration of the Spirit's power. They're, they're few and far between, and when they do happen, it's like our a w- annual or a biannual thing. You know, I, like, I think there's it, a lot of eloquence of speech. Mm-hmm, there are a lot of mm-hmm, words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of degrees. There's not a huge demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I, I think that could be as simple as that that first bullet point in that list. Um, we desire more frequently independence instead of interdependence. Unity exposes our lack and our surplus, um, but it makes us need to be interdependent on the rest of the body. And that yeah. is that is the demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's that Paul can decide to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified and allow other parts of the body, the other areas where mm-hmm. there are surplus, like to come in and he can be interdependent the way that Jesus chose to be interdependent yeah. as he lived instead of like he could have been fully independent. Yeah. But he chose interdependence so that we could see that as a good yet it's just not something that we yeah. usually care to seek out and please hear our hearts this is not a plea for universalism you no. know this, there the reality is like god has already judged many things and it's blatantly clear in scripture and so when we move forward as faithful obedient servants to jesus and followers of the way we don't we are not bringing judgment to the world when we stand on something like marriage between man and a woman or sanctity mm-hmm. of life in the womb like those aren't those aren't things we're standing on. It's just you read like in Isaiah, in your mother's womb I made mention of you. Like God has a value for life in the womb, you know? And so we we're not judgmental when we come through. We're being obedient to what God has already judged on, you know? And so it's not a plea for universalism. You can't just start redefining what you want to define in the Bible. But the reality is most of the mainline denominations are not split over sanctity of life in the womb. They're split over whether or not someone can speak in tongues or not they're split over woman leadership or election or free will mm-hmm. they're split over a lot of different things that i just simple think practices how we practice communion if it was about christ and christ crucified we would be unified not disunified yeah this is not a commentary on um let's be united and never discuss sin. This is simply like we'll get into there are times when we are meant to divide and it's because of sin. Um, but if it if it isn't sin, we're called to unity. 